morning and welcome to First Presbyterian Church. May the Lord be with you. Let's see here what we have in the announcements this morning. If you have your bulletin at home, um, or if you have your bulletin here, I encourage you to look through the back here. Um, if there are any announcements that may be coming up, um, nothing sticking out right now other than the congregational meeting will be held after this service at 11.15 a.m. Um, there will be a, there should be, there should be a Zoom link in your email. Um, so that you can join the congregational meeting from home via the Zoom link, or if you're here in person and you're an active member, we encourage you to stay for the con annual congregational meeting, again, following this service. Um, our church nursery is, uh, We Church is back today. Um, the children are invited to join us in the nursery following the time for young disciples. Uh, Miss Donna will be in the in the nursery today, and I know at least a one little or two little girls that are really excited about that. Um, starting back up. Um, other than that, uh, we have our list of prayer concerns, prayer boxes, prayer requests, um, and birthdays in the bulletin. Take a look at those and um, and uh, send your requests on over to us at your convenience. With that being said, let us worship God. <laughs> Come, let us worship the triune God. 
Now let's go on to our gathering song. My hope is built, my hope is built on nothing less. Amen. Friends, hear this assurance of pardon that comes to us from the Old Testament. See, I am separating your sins as far as the east is from the west, so your sins may be as scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. The good news of Christ's coming to earth is that he did separate us from our sin, our old life was gone, and a new life remains. So know that you have been forgiven, and be at peace. Pray also for me a sinner. Amen.
Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, like me from among your own people. You shall meet such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Herod on the day of the assembly, when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more, or even again, see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet, like you, from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet, who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. This is the word of our Lord. Big question for you today. Have you ever been scared? Once or twice? What was that like to be scared? Are you scared right now? Clear <laughs> <laughs> no. that up. I've been scared too. And when I was your age, I was scared sometimes when it was like stormy at night, or maybe at times when the electricity would go out. It would get really dark in my room, and so I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, but one of the things that I had when I was younger was something that kind of kept me safe, and I was it was a gigantic poop head, Winnie the Pooh bear. It was, it was about your all size, and I would hug that poop bear, and I would be able to make it through the night. And so when I got a little bit older, I realized that there was, there was something even better than poop bear to make me feel safe. And that was Jesus. And the story that I'm getting ready to read in just a second is about a time when Jesus came into a church and there was somebody there that was kind of scared of Jesus. And he said, don't change me. Don't change me. I don't want to change. You're, you're, you're not doing things right. Like, I feel, I feel scared. And Jesus said, there's a spirit within you. And the spirit's not going to be gone. And in that moment, the spirit comes shook the man a little bit, and then before you know it, the spirit was gone, and that man was able to feel safe. And so Jesus made that man feel really, really safe after he initially felt really, really scared. So I want to do something for you today. I want to give you a gift. Okay, you ready for this? It's not going to happen every Sunday, but today it's going to happen. Okay? Two legs tall. All right. Do you like brown dogs? 
You don't like brown people? Who likes cats? You like gray cats? Alright, let's see. Let's try this again. Who likes dogs? Okay, who likes brown dogs? So I want you to squeeze that really tight right now. We're going to pray. I want you to pray with me. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, dear God, you rock. And we love you. And we're so glad you came to earth to make us feel safe. Thank you for that. As we hug our new pet, we'll remember you.
pretty amazing. In 2007, you might remember the, the Patriots were undefeated going into the Super Bowl. Uh, all year long, I said that was a heck of a start. Didn't turn out all that well for well. It turned out great for me in the end, but um, the, Pittles, the Patriots uh, did not finish the season undefeated. 2008, it's really hard to do this in Major League Baseball, but in 2008, the Baltimore Orioles finished April in first place. Now, if you know anything about baseball, you know the Orioles are not very good teams, right? For whatever reason that year, they finished April 16 and 11, they're number one. And they had uh, a great record as late as May, as May 20. May 20th, they actually beat my Yankees uh, 12 to 2 that year, which was crazy. Um, and then they just plumped. But at the beginning of the year, I thought, oh my goodness, these, these Baltimore Orioles, they're for real. You know anything about women's basketball? UConn women's basketball has been undefeated five times since 1995. It's an, almost an impossible feat. My beloved Steelers in 1978 had their greatest start ever. They went 7 0 until this year when they went 11 0 before they absolutely messed the bed at the end of the season. And that's it. They start off with a bang. They have a heck of a start. They're out of nowhere beginnings, sometimes also known as the Cinderella story. I want to argue that Jesus, too, should be included with this list of great teams who are notably off to have a great start. If you think about this, we are we're literally finishing the 28th verse in the first chapter of Martin. We also have this great amount of storytelling that's, that's already happened. In verse 9 of chapter 1, Mark has formed this. Um, so he's announced that there's a, the kingdom of God is at hand, and then suddenly Jesus starts kind of the first draft pick, and he, he has a new community that's begun. Now his first direct public act uh, as a minister, as a leader of this new community, he goes to Capernaum, and Capernaum is probably just a name for us in the Bible, but really, this is like going to New York City. This is this is the big the big town, going into the big leagues right off the bat. Capernaum was a very important city. It's the most well-connected community in Galilee. And he goes into the synagogue, kind of the, the centerpiece of that town. Any town, but really specifically in Capernaum, it was, it was really impactful. So much so that Mark, as he's writing this gospel, would say something along the lines of he strided into town. That's the Greek word that's there. So, one possible tra translation to get us to understand this is he kind of waltzed into this new building, right? He came in with a purpose, he came in with power. It's a religious power. It's a religious power that in Mark 21, we see that. After leaving the wilderness, where Mark, we didn't read this verse, but I tried to convince you to do it last week. Mark verse 13, Mark 1 verse 13, says that he was out in the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan himself. And then immediately he calls his disciples, and then now he goes into the temple and he deals with the man who has an unclean spirit. He's teaching with authority. And this Greek word here is excusion, which means it's a religious power. It's something that the scribes don't have. That's how they're able to be set apart. The scribes are more libertarians. They're the lawyers of town, but they also interpret scripture. But Jesus has a powerful way of delivering a text. We don't know what Jesus said, but whatever it was that he said shocked and amazed everyone that was gathered that day. Now, I want to teach you something that's going to happen all through Mark's gospel. He does what's called the sandwich technique. He tells a story, he puts a little story in the middle of the story, and then he ends the story with the same thought that, that the story started out, okay? So he goes into town, he goes into the synagogue, he meets an unclean man, and he, he 
cast the demon out, and then what's the end of the story? Wow, that was an awesome sermon. Now, all of that kind of happens at the same time. It's the same visit to that same synagogue, but there's a sermon, there's an engagement, maybe in the fellowship hall, I don't know where it happened, but then the people that are walking away from town suddenly say, he has a power and authority that we've never seen before. So Mark kind of sandwiches all of this together. And the demonic person, it's really weird that this, this demonic unclean spirit is found where? For lack of a better term, it's found in church. Evil sometimes likes to disguise itself and is able to then pop up and reveal something about itself amongst the most holy of people. I don't think it's surprising that Jesus finds a demon in church. I think it's one of the most perfect places for evil to hide. And when the, when the demon sees how amazing Jesus is, the demonic person rallies to defend itself and defend its rights to be there. Organized religion is presented as hosting a demonic power, one that somewhat surprisingly recognizes Jesus immediately. The people say, who is this teacher? The demonic says, you are the Lord God. You came to destroy us. The man with the unclean spirit says, why are you doing this? And, and interestingly enough, we don't know from Mark's gospel that Jesus is from Nazareth, but if we think back to John's gospel, which we read a few weeks ago, Nazareth was like a dirty word, right? That's nothing good could ever come out of Nazareth. And yet, the demonic person who has no idea where Jesus is from, apart from he walked into town, he says, you are Jesus from Nazareth. You're coming here to destroy us. You're, you're not who everybody else thinks you are, but we know who you are. The unclean spirit tone is dismissive. Jesus is then assumed to maybe be meddling with them, and by meddling and coming in and teaching with power, he's changing what's happening in this church synagogue. The demon is anti-change. It has set up house in a man it doesn't want to engage with the Lord. It just wants to keep living its life the way that it wants to. Sometimes maybe that plays itself out in churches that say, well, that's not how we do things here. We've always done it this way, right? That is demonic. We need to recognize that. That is a demonic thing, right? You're supposed to laugh. That's okay. <laughs> the demon, of course, is lying. This is not what Jesus has come through. He's not just come in drive this demon out of this domain. But this is a power move. The demon's making a power move by saying, I know your name. Now I want you to pause for just a second with me and let's think a little bit about name calling in the Bible. So if you think about, well, I'm going to give you two examples, I think, that help make us make sense of what's going on in this text. The first one is with Jacob wrestling with God. If you think back to that story, when Jacob is wrestling with God, they wrestle all night long. Neither one of them can make any kind of headway. And as dawn breaks, uh, the, the angel of the Lord of the Lord reaches out and touches Jacob's hip. It's dislocated. He walks with a limp for the rest of his life, they say. And, and God changes Jacob's name. Now, one of the things that happens before that takes place is Jacob tries to make a power so the, the demon, or the, not the demon, the angel reaches out, touches his hip. He says, your name is going to now be Israel because you meddled with God. That's really what that means. You, you wrestled with God, and now you're going to walk away limping. And Jacob says, what is your name? Who can I say did this to me? 
And that angel of the Lord never names his name. Another time that there's a name calling or a name addressing that goes on the Bible is with Moses. Moses goes up to the burning bush. He's in some kind of a weird trance, right? And, and this, this bush says to Moses, go set my people free. Go to the Israelite people and set them free. And what does Moses say? Who should I say except them? And, and, and God does this thing that we still can't really fully understand. He says, tell them that I am that I am sent you. Now, we could spend a month of Sundays trying to figure out what God's name is and that I am that I am, right? We have no idea. But both of those instances, and this is a really ancient world idea, if you know someone's name, you can have power over them. It's a way to draw power into yourself so that you can control it. It makes your name more noteworthy that you can control someone's name. It also uh, belittles that other person. So when this demon sees Jesus walk into the synagogue and is able to say, I know your name. You're from Nazareth. You're here to change us. Jesus is just like God, or is God, we should say, in that something that is wrestling with God or something that wants to control some aspect of God is asking for the same thing that Jacob and Moses did. It's a power grab. And Jesus immediately says, get out of here. Get out of this man. Also, None of the people that were there that day evidently made sense of the fact that the demonic man said, you are God, right? Because it wasn't that they talked about this healing that took place. It was the teaching that took place. That's what they came back around to was this teaching. So he is the Holy One of God. And as soon as Jesus speaks to him, another Greek word I'm going to teach you today, sparoxen, it means that the unclean spirit tore the man apart. So when he violently fell to the ground, the word that Mark chose to use here was he was violently torn apart. It's a different word than what we heard a few weeks ago with the sky being ripped apart, but still nonetheless, that's what's happening. God is still doing some ripping apart in this place. Mark then continues on the subject and says that Jesus has authority and teaching and all were astounded. And they discussed the question among themselves. They don't know exactly what has happened. They say, what is this powerful teaching that took place? They even call it a new teaching, but it's one with authority and power. He commands the unclean spirits and they obey. And immediately the report of him went everywhere into the whole surrounding area of Galilee. This new thing challenged the established local tradition and education, and it was very new. If you were going to be in the news, if you wanted to get your ministry started with a bank, there's no better place than to do that in Capernaum. Doing something in Capernaum and news travels fast to the rest of Galilee. Jesus is beginning to establish his movement and he is striking quickly and he's doing that with power. One of the things that any of you that ever played sports, I love playing sports, um, but one of the things that took place after a game is, especially for us when we played football on Monday, we would sit after school and watch film of a previous week's game. And we would look at replays over and over and over again. We would analyze what went wrong, what went well, how we could get better, how to improve. 
We've been looking at Jesus' first start for 2,000 years now. We've been analyzing it. We've been trying to figure out how it is that Jesus started off, how he shook and shocked the world. So much is going on in the synagogue and the crowd, the crowd was literally caught off guard. There was not much lead up to this unveiling. Think about this. Three really great stories so far in Mark's gospel, but it also feels like he's been doing this for a while, but he's still yet unknown. He's been called the Lamb of God. He's been tempted by Satan himself. He's called people to himself as a community. And now he's cast out an unclean spirit in the synagogue after he preached the most amazing sermon ever. Verse 28. Right? There's a whole lot more going on here. Can Jesus keep doing this forever? If this was the very first time we were reading Mark's Gospel, this is one of those page-turning stories. Right? This is... The first time you read Harry Potter, the first time you read some other amazing textbook that you love and you can't get through it quick enough. Right, this is what's happening. He's a great storyteller, but there's also something that I want you to pay attention to. Mark doesn't have any of these other humans naming who Jesus is apart from that demonic. The silence of Mark will not be revealed until chapter 15. We finally have a human who says, truly this was the Son of God. And you know who that person was? The centurion that pierced his side. So the Roman person that was charged with making sure Jesus was dead was the first and only human to announce truly this was the Son of God. It's called the silence of Mark. When humans sometimes miss who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. Now, he's doing some radically radically new things in the background of their religious life. If somebody came to me this week, maybe after church, after our, our annual meeting, you said, you know, Mark, I'd like to take you to this church where they're regularly casting out demons. I want us to go check that out. I will not be the one that says, yes, let's get a bus and go there, right? I would likely say to you, well, that goes against our professional standards. That's really not a thing happening, blah, 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 right? I'm not going to be attracted to people that are getting rid of demons, religiously. I'm just not. I know myself, that's not who I am. Some of you may be attracted by that. I don't know, I'm not putting it down, I'm just saying, that ain't for me. So if this is the first story that I heard, I'm likely not going to very quickly become a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's out of fear that he would get rid of my own demons. I don't know. But there's something in all of us that prevents us from always seeing who Jesus is. We make Jesus, in our minds, who we want and need Jesus to be, right? We don't always pray exactly this prayer that I'm going to name, but I'm going to do it just for being the sake of being egregious. We don't say, Jesus, change me to be like them. We often say, Jesus, change them to be more like us, right? That's just human nature. We actually don't like change. It's part of the evolutionary part of us. We don't want to change. Once we figure something out and this works, this keeps us alive, we don't want to change it. Right? And so when someone comes along with a new radical idea or new teaching or something that just is mind-blowing to us, we're diametrically opposed to it. We've, come, we've come, become very vanilla. We don't like to have the status quo shaken up. And I think what threw Israel for a loop and what threw Galilee for a loop when Jesus was there, Israel was Moses and, and, and now Jesus uh, in the first century is that both of them were doing something radically new. They were crazy. 
Why on earth would we slaves march 1,600 miles across the desert to a place that we've never seen, we've only heard about, by a God whose name is that I am that I am? Okay, sure, Moses, we'll follow. Jesus comes in with radical new teaching, and now we have this story that says it's power, it's bold. I think it's crazy. So my question today, church, is this. Where's Christ being crazy with us? Where is Christ waltzing into our lives and disrupting our expectations? Where is Christ speaking with authority? Where is Christ casting out our demons? Unlikely the guy would say, the response to Jesus wanted to change me. What have you to do with me? Leave us alone. I don't want to be altered. I want to be comfortable. Christ's call, though, clearly from this text, is one where change happens and there's a bit of a mess that's confusing yet powerful after it happens. It's hard for me to pray that way. It's hard for me to pray, Jesus, mess up my life. It's hard to say, tear me apart, rip me asunder. And I think that's the difficulty with this gospel. Being a happy Jesus person when Jesus is coming to point out to the masses that it's not so happy is not always that attractive. Jesus starts out with a bang, but he's defensive. He's not defensive of his house. He goes on the attack, almost in spite of religious establishment. And I think that is the prayer we need to pray. Lord, how can you tattle us? How can you offend us in such a way that we recognize your teaching as one with authority? My prayer for us this Sunday and subsequent Sundays is, where is Jesus our starter? Let us be offended by Jesus in such a way that we're becoming willing to see that authority with power a flop around on the floor if necessary. I'm not saying we're going to become charismatic, but if we need to do that, to shake it up, may we be shaken. May we do this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us declare what it is we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It's now time for our offertory to prepare our hearts and minds to make our sacrifices to our Lord. If you're watching online at home, you can make that uh, by copying and pasting that little tag. Let's have a meditation of what it means for us to give back to the Lord.
All this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So we come to our time of prayer this morning. I have some sad news to pass on to you. Kathy Lee texted me yesterday, and her father passed away. So she is, yesterday she was on her way to North Carolina. So she requested that we obviously pray for her, and we've done that the last two weeks. And so it looked like it was getting better, I guess, but it ended up not being the case. And then her friend, Cheryl, just checking to make sure I get this right, um, is still sick and recovering, so she's going to be transferred from the hospital into a rehab facility for continued healing. So, um, again, we've, we've prayed for her for a few weeks as well, so keep that in mind as we bring our petitions to our Lord. Obviously, take a look at the list of concerns that we have um, here, share with us. And then, does, does anyone here today have a concern that they'd like to share with us? Seeing none. Let's prepare our hearts and our minds to lift our petitions to our Lord and to our name. Holy and gracious God, we, we come to you, Lord, your humble servants, to thank you, God, for all the great blessings that you've given us in this life. We're thankful, Lord, for this day that you have given us, for our creation, the beauty of your creation, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that in the burning bush you said you are, you will be, and you were. And Lord, we're trying to understand what that means for the Creator to have not been created. But we recognize the beauty in all that you have done to this earth. We're thankful, Lord, for that gift. We're thankful, Lord, for the gift of others in our life who are a blessing to us. And we thank you, Lord, for those in our own families and sets of friends in the workplaces and in neighborhoods, Lord. We thank you for those who are close to us. You are a gift to our being. We thank you, Lord, for calling us to be part of a community. As you call the first disciples into community, Lord, we're thankful for the call that you've extended to us to love one another as we love ourselves. Lord, as our hearts and minds are burned with the news of Kathy's father passing away, we ask God that you be with her and the rest of her family. For everyone that loved him and knew him and called him by name, we know, Lord, that you have called him home and welcomed him with your loving and waiting arms and while he is no longer in pain and no longer suffering God we pray for those who will grieve and mourn loss for time to come we pray Lord for all who suffer this day we pray for those Lord who are still in hospital still in nursing homes who are at home battling the disease that has plagued this creation we're thankful, Lord, for the scientists, for the researchers who have developed the vaccine. We pray, Lord, for more vaccines to become available. We're thankful, Lord, for those who work on the front lines, treating the sick, vaccinating the well. Lord, we pray, God, that this is sooner. Lord, we're thankful for this place, our church home. We're thankful, Lord, that today we can worship together in person. We know, Lord, that this is a challenge, but we, we love you, God, and we worship you from afar some days, as well as now, today, gathering together. We pray, God, for those who are unable to worship with us in person, but who can tune in from home. We pray, Lord, for those who will receive this today, Lord, in the mail, perhaps, as they don't have access to the internet. We pray, God, for those who are poor, for those who literally today will pray for their daily bread. We ask, God, 
that you hear those prayers. We need their needs, but also, Lord, burden our hearts and minds to help those around us as well. We pray, God, for the church who gathers together today out of fear of persecution, suffering, imprisonment, or even death. We're mindful, Lord, of Christians who gather their ISIS-controlled areas in the Middle East. We pray for the silent church of China. We pray, Lord, for the church in Indonesia and Vietnam, the Horn of Africa. But, Lord God, we do not know our sisters and brothers by name, but we lift them to you now, God, that you would protect them. We're thankful, Lord, for the courage that they have in worshiping this day. Protect them, Lord. Give them strength. May add to the number daily those who are being saved. Holy God, finally, in the stillness of this moment, God, we pray for ourselves. God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you so much for sending your Son to earth. We're thankful, Lord, that your Son showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and give us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, Deliver us from evil. Divine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time for our last hymn this morning. Our sending hymn, Silence, Frenzy, Unclean Spirit, will meditate on those words. Let's play for us.
attend the final deciding game of the World Series. I got to do that in 2008 when the Philadelphia Phillies won the World Series. We lived in Philadelphia at that time, little cheering in the background over there. I was at that game, it was one of the most unique games to have ever been able to witness uh, in that the game was, was delayed by two days. So the game started on, on one particular day, there was a huge massive rainstorm that came through the area. They had to postpone the game. It took two days for that to pass. And so uh, I got to go to the second half of the game. The reason being is my friend uh, had friends had had a baby, and so their baby was literally born in the middle of the sixth <laughs> inning. Right? Uh, not at the game, but, but but nonetheless born between those innings. And so the wife wasn't able to go to the game, so I got to go and get her ticket. One of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my entire life. I love going to Major League Baseball games. I love it. I take our, our family to go. We've gone to several different stadiums. I'll never forget this day because there was so much excitement in Philadelphia. I was sitting there in my seat watching that last out take place. And before the play was even finished, the entire stadium was shaking. People were jumping, people were screaming, I was screaming, I was jumping, I don't do those things, the Yankees are my team, but that day, I was a diehard Phillies fan, and I wonder if Jesus could cause me to do the same. There's so many things that cause me to be fanatical, that revolutionize and radicalize my life, I will never forget that moment. And I wish that I had that kind of a story to tell you that Jesus has done it in my life, but I've not paid attention enough to know what it was. I'd like to say that the day that I was ordained dead and my wife got to put this robe on me and put my skull on, I wept like a baby that day. What in the heck am I getting myself into? That was a great day. But Jesus has never made me scream and shout and be jubilant like I was on that day. And my prayer and my confession to you this morning is that I pray to God that all of us together can figure out ways where we can bring that much excitement to the world as watching a city that I lived in but didn't necessarily love win the World Series. Christ has delivered us from sin. Amen? Let's scream and let's shout. All right. All right. All right. All right. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May you be with us all until we meet again, either in this place or as glorious kingdom come. Amen.